Hey guys, Brooke and Alyssa here, your favorite intuitive eating dietitians. Okay, side note, while writing the script out, autocorrect changed dietitians to Doritos, and I felt that in my soul. So from your favorite Doritos, we're here to announce something seriously amazing. We created a course, you guys, for you, for me, you might say, yes, for you, you listening right now. It's a 17-module self-guided course called Quit Dieting, A Diet Writer's Guide to Intuitive Eating, and we designed it to take around 10 weeks, but the timeline is up to you. This course takes our podcast to a brand new level. Like seriously, it goes in-depth, shares never-before-heard stories, goes deeper than you thought we could, and collects it all in one place from start to finish, teaching you practical ways to be an intuitive eater and leading you to a life of food freedom. Each module includes at least one audio file and several journal prompts that will help you work through the material. We have also included some actionable homework assignments to help you on your journey. The audio courses are so helpful, and as much as we enjoy hearing ourselves talk, I mean, we have a podcast for heaven's sake, we can't wait for you guys to do the work. This is where the change happens. Make sure to work the workbook and complete the homework. This will be the tangible and applicable ways to change your life. This course is a jumpstart. It's a great resource, an amazing invitation to living a life of food freedom alongside us. We're so excited to get it to you guys, and we're offering a special price for our very first course. Most courses out there are well over $100, if not several hundred dollars. But right now, we're offering a launch price of $59. Yep, 59 bucks, cheaper than your last DoorDash order. Also, please know this special launch price is only available for the first 30 people who snag this course. After that, we raise the price. You can find the link to our course in the show notes or on our Instagram page at diet.riot.podcast or by going to www.dietriotpodcast.teachable.com. We can't wait to hear how this course helps you, so please share your feedback with us. And if it helps you, we would also so, so appreciate you sharing it with friends or family or maybe even giving it as a gift. Okay, now onto the show. Hey, 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 welcome back, Diet Riders. Welcome to the Diet Riot Podcast with Brooke Miller. Alyssa Miller. Both dietitians. Both moms. Both from the Midwest. Both live in Colorado. And that's about it. <laughs> and that's the end. So real quick disclaimer, um, thanks to Corona, we are now all podcasting very separately right now. So if you hear a little bit of funky sound or some background noise, that's why. So I know that you guys are all going to be super gracious with us, and we just really appreciate that. But um, yeah, today is a super exciting episode because we're actually going to be talking a little bit about corona and the virus and how that kind of affects our relationship with food, and we're super excited to have a guest on. So we're going to introduce her. We're going to send it over to Melissa to kind of tell you a little bit about herself. Hi. Thanks, Alyssa and Brooke. My name is Melissa Landry, and I'm a registered dietitian out of Boston, nowhere near the Midwest, nor Colorado, <laughs> but that's where I am from. And I was so excited for you guys to reach out to talk a little bit about some of the coronavirus triggers and how some of these things that impact us in real life, right, before all this are starting to shape shift or maybe 
dial up and get even stronger for some people. Um, so I'm really excited to talk through some of that today. And you want to know a bit about me and how I came into intuitive eating, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. I'm sure they follow you on social media. You've got quite a big following and very distinct voice. I was just telling her before we went on air. Um, Just a really unique approach. And I just freaking love it. Really resonates with me, especially. Um, So yeah, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got into the intuitive eating space, and who you kind of talk to. Sure. So I uh, have a private practice where I see clients one-to-one. And my background is from the weight management world. I was trained as a weight loss dietitian, and I was taught and practicing that way for a lot of years. Um, And there was always that part of me, which I think a lot of dietitians train this way, that kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm doing all the things I've been trained to do. Um, I can see my clients shrinking, (laughs) not expanding in this process. Uh, can we swear? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like shit. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know based on my background, you know, I had done some trainings and coaching. I have a master's of education. I know how human beings learn and thrive. And everything I was doing was kind of at odds with those methods. And so over the years, I think what I was trying to do in my practice was say, like, I'll just become like a better weight loss dietitian. Like, I'll just become a like super duper counselor. And then all these problems will go away. I just will be more perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I translated that to the, the programs that I worked for, too. Like, oh, and I'm going to get like everybody else to be perfect and our the healthcare system to get fixed. And I'm going to cure the obesity epidemic. Yes. That's like what we all go into school. I think a lot of us go into school thinking that like, oh, we're going to cure everybody. We're going to make everybody skinny. Everybody's going to be healthy and live forever. And it comes from a really beautiful place. Like I think all of us are helpers. um, And that desire is really important. So we hold on to that in the anti-diet space. And that's something that I will never let go of. It's I'm even right now, I'm so, so grateful to have my virtual practice because I can be with people right now when it's hitting the fan. And that's, that's why I'm here. So, you know, all of that stuff was getting challenged. Um, And I think that does also mirror like our client's journey too, right? Like rather than questioning should I lose weight or not? Right. Like that, that's really the crux of it. They say, Oh, I'll just get more perfect at diets. Like I'll just get better at diets, which yes, sucks. Cause like when you're in that mode of a clinician or a provider and they're reinforcing that and that's been going on for all your life, it's so, so hard for everybody to kind of disentangle that. So yeah, you're carrying so much blame on yourself and your shoulders and just thinking that it's 100% your fault that you didn't stick well enough to the diet, that you're the problem when really, as we're probably going to see through your story is all of a sudden we flip that on its head of, hey, no, Mm -hmm. it's actually the diet's fault for treating us this way and for making us believe these lies about ourselves that we have to be, like you said, more perfect Mm -hmm. and, and better and better at it when really no one is designed to succeed at diets in the way that diet culture tells us we need to succeed. And I saw this firsthand because I was a research interventionist. So in addition to clinical work, I have done a lot of, you know, they have dietitians who are implementing these trials and a lot of health at every size kind of looks at these research trials and the conclusions we take from them. And so when I start to get exposed more to intuitive eating and health at every size, and I'm having these experiences on the inside, I was kind of like, I'm in a really neat position here to kind of take intuitive eating, which I think 
really kind of roots a lot of time in the eating disorder community really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I would see that happening going, that's so inspiring, makes so much sense. Why aren't we picking this up and putting it in the weight loss communities explicitly? Not yes. like yeah. for disordered eaters, oh, you're binging, that's so hard. Yes, that's important there. But also just because you're in a bigger body and you have learned this your whole life, mm-hmm. what if we just like explicitly taught that? So that's really what the inspiration for my page um, from a professional space came from was like, how cool is this solution? Rather than being more perfect, what if we just flipped it upside down and tried an entirely different approach? Well, and just from a, a research standpoint, too, I'm sure you saw the studies, like the longevity of diets, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, they work for two months, three months, six months. But let, let's look at patients in a year or two. Oh my gosh, they've gained all the way back or more. And then I'm sure you started seeing like the intuitive eating, health at every size studies. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is sticking with people. It's lasting. People are seeing long-term success with their yes. health. Their markers are improving. And I'm sure just like from the research standpoint, of course, like why would you not move into the intuitive eating um, realm because you're seeing that the research mm-hmm. is showing that that's what's working. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're coming at it from a research standpoint, like Brooke is saying that you can look at all kind of the bigger picture because I think so many of us dietitians, at least I think this is mine. And I think Brooke's story too. When we got into nutrition, we like didn't want to touch eating disorders with a 10 foot yep. pole. You Me know? either. Yeah. And I'm like, now that I'm in it, I'm like, this is what I was meant to do. Like yes. what's <laughs> Exactly. It's like, I literally was like, no way. There was like a job Mm -hmm. opening right when I graduated. And I was like, nope, I'm just going to wait until there's a new one. Like, no. What do you think that is? Why why do you think so many dietitians? Oh my gosh. I think it's the, it's the, it's like the scary picture of someone with eating disorder. And especially for dietitians, I was trained and knew myself that like, this isn't an eating problem. Like this is a mental disorder that I can't fix. I don't have the qualifications. I can't speak into that. And I think we're just taught kind of to like lay low and step back. And like you said, not connect the dots to an everyday person because they look differently, which is so absurd now Yeah, (laughs) think about. And I think, I think too, from a dietitian standpoint, like it is so scary. We, we totally understand and know that dietitians alone probably can't fix an eating disorder. Like it takes a team, it takes people, um, therapists, it takes a whole slew of people. And so I think I always knew like it's the issue isn't rooted in food. The issue is rooted into something deeper. And Mm -hmm. I also was always scared to be liable. So like if a patient has anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa and they die or have a heart attack, then it's on me. It's my fault that I didn't save them. And I think that was what was really scary for me was mm-hmm. I was always so interested in eating disorders. And I, I thought in college, that's actually where I wanted to go. And then I think the liability scared me so much because I know that like, it is um, a mental health issue that does cause death. And I don't know, I think I, I felt safer going into something else like cancer, because it's like my oncology patients right now, they die yeah. all the time, which sounds awful. Yeah. But it's like, I know, I know it's not my fault as a tube feeding dietitian that they died. I know that like they had stage four cancer. Isn't that interesting though, yeah. how like physical health, we can release. There's certain health things that are not our fault. And there's certain things that are, and mental health does seem to always come in from a place of fault. And I think that's just so interesting, right? Like that, we have more control over it. Right, right. <laughs> and I, and I think when, 
you yourself like go through journeys with mental health. And I talk a lot about my experience with anxiety and even that I can say that in a public forum right now, I was like sobbing whenever I walked into a therapist door, like, I can't believe I'm here. I'm not supposed to be here. Right. Like how, when you go through those journeys yourself, you realize that it's how you relate to yourself in the world and food is part of that. Mm -hmm. And when we work with clients from an empowerment stance to say like, Hey, you've got a lot of things going for and with you. How do we build on that? Intuitive eating as a framework just nestles so nicely in that perception of our clients and where weight loss doesn't. It's, I had a conversation with someone this morning. With weight loss, it says, you know, you start here who you are and where you want to be is whole and complete and happy and good. And the way to get between A and B is the weight loss solution. Mm-hmm. Intuitive eating says you are whole and good as you are. How do we build on that and connect with that whole and good person? Which, mm-hmm. oh, I got is, chills. Yeah, it's just a totally different thing, and I think it's really hard for people to flip flop. You know, they kind of—it's easy rather to flip flop in between those two spaces when you're really learning it. Which, you know, I think we did as providers, which makes us super powerful to recognize that and be honest with clients and say, like, ah, that's this thing that happened to me too. Yeah. Where do you want to go next? Yeah. And I love like the research side of that too, is like how many years and years of research do we have based on people who are look sick or we think are sick or we, and how many people did we discount or put to the side and say, oh, you don't have an eating disorder because your BMI isn't X, Y, and Z or whatever. I mean, so many things that we have research built around these people mm-hmm. who present in a certain way it's such a cool experience to start watching the research be opened up to more people who are having those same feelings, but don't have the body that providers think mm-hmm. that they should have their preconceived idea of what yeah. they should look like. So, or the extreme of symptoms, like, you know, like, mm, like yeah. you're talking about how that image in your brain of someone who had an eating disorder and how fearful that was for you. You know, I have clients, I had one couple months ago who's like I drove by an eating disorder clinic every day on my way to work thinking should I drive in there related to her binges but she was in a bigger body and she's like in her mind it's not like what I see on tv like the trope of a binge eater that's not me like I have a partner I have a a child I have a job I have friends I'm able I'm high functioning and coping and this thing is part of my life and always has been and so I just I'm trying to really, through my page, connect with the people who are on that spectrum of like driving past the ED center, probably aren't honestly a fit for the services that they would offer. It maybe is a little too high touch for what they're going through. And the people who have learned disordered eating, they don't have eating disorders, but they have belief systems that have been reinforced and reinforced over the years that really do need some some love to come toward this middle of of eating. So I, I saw a need for that space that wasn't true ed Mm -hmm. certainly wasn't weight loss what is that middle ground for someone who has discomfort about their bigger body and their size I love that. I think we're very aligned because Brooke and I, um, we actually just released a course. And in the course, we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about our own stories of how we became intuitive eaters and how we've Mm -hmm. been on this journey. And both of us really have never been on a named diet. Like we've never done the Weight Watchers or the, yeah, except for Whole30. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, you know, it's but it's a lot of people out there are speaking to the people who have been on chronic diets their whole life. Mm-hmm. And Brooke mm-hmm. and I came to realize, honestly, even after starting this podcast that, hey, we are actually way more disordered in our thinking around food than we thought we were because mm-hmm. we always had that badge of honor of kind of like, well, I've never done Weight Watchers or I've never done this or that. And it's been such a great eye opening experience to be like, hey, you don't have to have been ever on a diet to have weird food roles controlling your life. And it's it's been really liberating and kind of talking to that middle ground of people of like, hey, you're driving past the eating disorder clinic or you're driving past Weight Watchers thinking you're okay or I don't really need that or I'm not sure, you know, what that looks like or I'm not that bad or I'm not that sick or I'm not that disordered when really it's like, oh, actually there are thoughts that are creeping in that I don't even yeah. hear, you know, you don't even hear yeah. them sometimes. So. Right. Right. Yeah, because they're honestly said in society, like yeah. you don't hear them because they're <laughs> they're there and reinforced by everyone around you. And I and think no that's one a questions lot of space. Correct. Exactly. Brooke actually just had a Facebook post this morning. Did you want to talk a little bit about that that you saw? Uh, oh, like on um, Facebook? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of the coronavirus. Actually. Yeah. So good bridge into our topic. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw a Facebook post. Um, I'm in like a healthcare group for Corona, which I probably shouldn't be like, I don't work in a hospital. Um, and I'm not <laughs> like a nurse, but just to give yourself a little pull in the trigger. Like, yeah, exactly. The trigger pull yes. A little bit. But <laughs> just to hang out. The post was, does anyone else think our country, the USA will be impacted with higher death tolls because our country is so unhealthy. We have obesity, heart disease, diabetes. The American diet has caused poor health in all young people, strokes for 30 year olds. I believe our country is in trouble. And all these other people were like, absolutely. All the fat people are going to cause us to die. And like, essentially like, well, we're the fattest country. So of course we're all going to die way more than Italy. That's like, well, we're the slowest to respond country. And that's why we're <laughs> in a crisis. Exactly. So, to, to be clear. Yes. Um, I know. I was like, I don't think, yeah. I don't think, um, if our BMIs are higher than other countries, I don't think that's going to magically like so this, triple this that. This rhetoric started weeks ago. Yeah. Um, there was an article by David Katz, who is a prominent uh, medical doctor in, he'll call it wellness world. Um, and it's funny because I think it was Michael Pollan, actually, if anyone listening is familiar with Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. And these guys are kind of just, they're wellness culture guys, right? They they kind of sneaky imply that body sizes would be quote under control if things like food systems and general population health behaviors got under control, right? So they talk a lot about systems, but what they often mean to say is quote obesity epidemic, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I stumbled upon the, upon the article, and it was really you know from a marketing perspective, it was beautifully headlined with "Should I worry about coronavirus?" Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually want to know the answer to that. Yeah. So I click the article, and I begin reading it, and he starts with this super nuanced way of exploring this from a public health perspective, and I'm like, wow, David Katz, like <laughs> <laughs> impressive nuance here. And then he goes on to say, how are we responding so urgently to this when statistically it's maybe not going to, you know, the mortality of this is not going to be quite so bad as say what we're putting into our bodies for food. Now he doesn't explicitly name quote the obesity epidemic, Mm -hmm. but he is implying that if we only had this urgency around our health behaviors and goes to end this with eat a salad as like a, and I looked oh, at my gosh. husband and I was like, oh my God. Are we, and that's when I started to notice that. And I, I, um, I've seen on other pages, people 
putting this rhetoric, it's really, really harmful. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to really challenge that, that that's not true. There is no evidence for this. Mm-hmm. And if they're adding obesity as a, um, as a um, risk factor, remember that these are the status exists with these other comorbidities that they're talking about. So we cannot prove that size causes this. We actually can't prove anything right now because we don't have the data. Exactly. Yeah. And just, I mean, even just going back to how, I mean, we don't have to get into this because Brooke and I have talked a lot about this extensively on our podcast, even just how the word obesity and BMIs have been developed and how just asinine they are. So, All right, let's go into, (laughs) I know, now 20 minutes in of just chatting, because as dietitians that are all passionate about this, we could talk forever. Um, One of the posts that I saw that you made was just an incredible post Mm -hmm. talking about the binge triggers around social distancing and being at home and having, you know, all these people sharing like stories of shelves being emptied and things like that. And you're talking about the different triggers um, in your life around what's going on with the coronavirus and how that's affecting our relationship with food. So I wanted to kind of dive into that. And I know you have so many posts that are amazing, but this one really stuck out to me because in in the moment of seeing this on Instagram, I had just seen someone else's story talking about how there was no food on the shelves. And I was like, oh my gosh, should we run out and get more food? And it instantly gave me this feeling. We have, a t- we have food. We have way more food than we probably need right now. But it's like, it's this feeling of pressure. It's like what we've seen with the toilet paper. It's like as soon as someone says that there's not toilet paper, then you need to run out and get it. You're probably doing just fine. And by the way, you're at home. Jump in the freaking shower. You don't need toilet paper. That's right? true. Get a bidet. <laughs> yeah, get a bidet. Trey European. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about that post, but also what you're seeing in your practice or with people um, in your community of how this is affecting people and their thought process around food. Yeah. So, you know, that one, that response is normal. And I think that's so important to acknowledge that even as you're describing it, like you had them like, come on, Alyssa, don't do that. Exactly. Don't fall into (laughs) Um, that trap. Even if you know that to be true, that is a super normal response. And Mm -hmm. I think we, there are images and words that have meaning to us that we don't know what they mean until we're around them. And so the image of an empty shelf is maybe something that we don't get exposed to all the time. And until you're in front of that, you do not know how that's going to be for you. So one, just acknowledging like that is symbolic of a lack of food that doesn't make it true. And so, um, you know, when I was in the store, I was noticing those feelings too. And I overheard someone ask, it was so funny. She was asking for like um, shallots, which I was like cracking up. (laughs) Very important to have my shallots. Yeah. Oh God. It's just like, I wasn't going there on those shallots, but absolutely. <laughs> Satisfaction is part of intuitive. That's right. Um, and the guy said, oh, yeah, we're getting a shipment today. And so I thought to myself, oh. And so I go over to him and I said, hey, like, how are you? Like, how's it been going? And he's like, yeah, we're getting shipments every day. It's just crazy because people are taking things more quickly. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, is it true? Is it useful? Like, when you feel something like that is what I think true. Mm-hmm. And is this information useful to me right now? And, and you can always do something to clarify those two things. So that's what inspired this post. Cause I was like, I think people need to hear that, that yeah. as a, a thinking process, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also inspired by like what was going on with me where my before bed anxiety was like through the roof, like things that are normally 
part of my life a little bit. We're now ratcheted up level yes. 10. So that's why I wrote this post because both the, the climate and my own personal experience with my usual stuff was at level 10. I wanted to give people a space to explore what are your usual triggers and how are you going to like be with them now mm -hmm. and plan for that because they're going to need a little more love than they did two weeks ago. Yeah, I think you posted another post recently. Gosh, your your captions are really great, you guys. If you're not reading captions, you don't have to read mine necessarily, but hers are real good. <laughs> and you talked, I think you talked about that just being home with your husband, right? And how mm -hmm. everything was now at like a 10. Like if you had problems before with, around mm -hmm. food or whatever's going, going on, this is really going to amplify them. And really talking about the, for me, it's the presence of food and feeling mm -hmm. like, um, is there enough? Do mm -hmm. I need to buy more, hoard more, hold on to more? And it's really, I was posting on my other account that, hey, you actually have more than you think you do, mm -hmm. right? You know, it. let's take a deep breath and remember that they're getting shipments every day. Our food supply chains are still running and you have more, A, than a lot of people out there, but you probably have more on your shelves than you think you do. And and we're, we need to be very grateful for that and, and mm -hmm. slow down and and really take stock of that while also noticing these feelings that are bringing us anxiety, right? Right. Um, right. And then I saw a lot of posts of people talking about how the first day of coronavirus quarantine, they ate all their snacks. <laughs> I just thought I that was such a funny, relatable thing. <laughs> totally. We all do. We're sitting yeah, at home yeah. bored. My husband yelled at me. He was like, bruh, <laughs> you cannot tap into this. He okay. He bought like all this applesauce because our son is one, and his favorite food is applesauce. And so my husband bought like no joke, like forty little things of applesauce. And I had one, and he's like, "Why are you? Why are you and Ashton eating the applesauce?" And I'm like, "We have 40. And he's like, "I would. You would never survive an apocalypse." Like I bought all this extra food for the two weeks that we're not going to be allowed to go anywhere, and it was just hilarious because he he's like very prepared. And yeah, our deep freezer is full. Our regular freezer's full. Our fridge yeah. is full. Our pantry's full. And I still like have stress. Like, oh gosh, what if what if we you know can't make anything? So this is what you're tapping into is huge though because I'm, a lot of my clients and I are talking about like the differentiation between your level of urgency and your partner's because yes. that. Cause like, that's not like, that's his stuff. Like, yes. like you eat as many freaking applesauces as you please. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you can actually go back to the store. And so, you know, that's another thing that sometimes you get yourself squared away on the presence of food, but because maybe your partner has a different relationship to food, or maybe they've never really thought about this for the first, you yeah. know, they're thinking about it for the first time. Now you have to like, ah, there's a lot of helping going on right now for well, ourselves. Yeah, and others. this is the whole concept of intuitive eating that we all talk about so often is the more you restrict certain foods, the more you're going to want to binge those foods. Right. Well, here we are as a community in a place where we perceive that there's a restriction on our food supply. And so all of our innate responses, for the most part, are going to be to binge on those foods, which is mm -hmm. so counterintuitive, but it kind of... <laughs> In a mean way, without taking away any seriousness of what's going on, it kind of proves our point as anti-diet dietitians of like, mm -hmm. this is what we say happens to you on a daily basis when you're dieting and restricting your foods. It's almost like inside your body and your world, the coronavirus is taking things away and you feel right. restricted. So then you binge. This is... This, I use this example with my husband with the toilet paper. It's like we have this perceived idea that it's restricted 
who cares how much we have in our basement? We need to go out and buy, 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 buy more. And it's the same idea that we've all been talking about, about how people's relationships with food gets affected when you go on a diet. Yeah. It's such a clear representation to me, which is like funny and heartbreaking at the same time. Right. Um, And it's just so, it's so emotional and exhausting to watch people go through this um, without being prepared and working with a professional like you um, to know how to handle these feelings when they bubble up and how to kind of calm them back down. So do you have any techniques for people who may be feeling this way? And not to say you can't eat the food because dear God, eat the food. There's more coming to the store. You're okay. Um, But kind of what are you telling your clients or what do you want people to kind of focus on when they feel this sense of urgency or restriction or fear? Yeah. Before the techniques, I really encourage clients in general to think about like why and what they really want because, you know, intuitive eating is a very thick text. There's a lot of different tools and techniques there. They're not all the tools in there don't make sense all the time. That's one of the roadblocks I see a lot of clients get when they're trying to DIY it. It's like drinking from the fire hose. They're like, I'm doing all the things. I'm, and it's nothing yes. sticking, right? Uh-huh. And it's because you haven't tagged the skills against you and your why and what you want. And so right now, just for myself, thinking about how I'm showing up on my page, how I'm showing up for myself, how I'm getting through this, I am thinking of myself as if the most important person to care for. So what this means is that if I'm healthy, and I'm mentally healthy in particular, I'm more likely to stay inside. I'm more likely to help my community. Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to be there for other people who may need that support. We can help each other stay inside. And this sounds insane. Right now, I can't believe this is needing to be discussed. I know. But at an individual level, if you can be with how you feel, you will have an impact on this virus and turn this thing around in a way that must happen. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. Mm -hmm. We must individually act to make this collective thing happen. So that why was not there two weeks ago. (laughs) I didn't know to make that why. Now that I have that why, I can prioritize my mental health above things like weight loss and my preferences around food, right? Like what I like the shallots I might like to have. (laughs) So that is, you know, and that may not resonate with you. And that's okay. It doesn't matter what your why is, but you must have one. Otherwise, you're just grabbing random tools that are never going to feel authentic to you. So that's step one. Mm -hmm. And then from there is really noticing how you feel, which is one of the hardest things that you can do when there's uncomfortable emotions in the room. Right now, we feel fearful, we feel uncertain, we feel anxious, we feel sad. There's been a ton of loss and grief around, you know, kids not going to their proms and weddings getting canceled. And, you know, my sister's a teacher and she just, her heart is breaking for her kids right now. Um, So the trick is really to notice when you're having those feelings so that you can select your strategy. So I don't know if that's helpful, but really just trying to give yourself some grace and slow the F down right now. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're booking your days from morning to night, you're up here, you're like buzzing. You cannot come down into your body and sense your hunger, sense your fullness, sense your emotions. That's what intuitive eating hinges on. If you can't do that, you're not going to be a really skilled intuitive eater right now. 
Yeah, I love what you're saying there. Kind of what I'm picking up is to give yourself space and time Mm -hmm. so that you're making decisions out of intentionality rather than a response to a feeling that your body is giving you. This is an experience none of us have ever been through, you guys. So don't think that, I mean, I feel like Brooke and I have already showed or shared that even us as five, six-year intuitive eaters or even more, I think, for Brooke, that we have this under control and we don't have these feelings. You know, this is why we started this podcast to say, hey, even dietitians, even intuitive eating dietitians, even anti-diet dietitians, are still struggling through this or still working through random food rolls that are in our head. We wanted it to be very transparent that this is stuff we're still struggling through and it's a lifelong journey. It's not, hey, I did a 30-day thing and now I'm good to go, you know? Um, And I, I loved what you said about finding your why. I think Brooke and I have talked about this with people with certain disease states where food does affect their disease. Um, You know, people with like renal disease or something like that, that you need to find that why and that higher calling and that higher message of why am I eating the foods that I am? Is this going to protect my body or harm my body? And coming from a place not of fear, but of love for yourself, of of self-care and, you know, focusing on caring for your body so like you said you can be your best self so kind of to bridge that gap from what we might be feeling now in corona to everyday people who might be having to make choices you know if your breastfed baby is allergic to dairy and you want that freaking cream in your coffee yeah it's like you're doing this for a higher calling or maybe you formula feed your baby and drink the cream in your coffee you do you all right yeah yeah Yeah. and it frees you up from the solution right like yes Again, this is why weight loss doesn't work. It is one solution. No matter what your why is, you must follow this solution. Yeah. When you ask yourself what you want, your mind will, and this comes from like the learning background again, your mind is going to be more open to identify the solutions that work uniquely for you in this moment that you are in that will change tomorrow. So yes. it's a much more flexible way of approaching stress times like now, but also peace times and, and what is it that you want to shape for yourself. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you find that a lot of people are really concerned about um, not being able to find like enough fresh and healthy, quote unquote, healthy foods at the supermarket right now and feel like they're eating so unhealthy and they're going to gain all this weight in like the next two weeks? Do you feel like that's a big stressor that you found with a lot of clients? My clients are more coming with the intention of of letting go of some of that. Mm-hmm. So more so I'm seeing it on the Instagram page and yeah. the community there, some of the messages that I'm getting. Yeah. Um, things like fear on the fact they can't go to the gym like yes. they wanted or <laughs> the the fresh food thing. I, heard, I, I wrote about sodium the other day and was pretty clear on that. And so, yeah, it's definitely coming up right now for sure. Mm-hmm. I saw, I wanted to make a quick plug to all those listening. Um, I've been seeing a lot of posts going around about um, it's kind of like shaming or guilting or I don't even know. I mean, it's shame, basically, of people like making fun of people who are all of a sudden giving up their keto diet or people who are all of a sudden giving up their DIY cleaners for Clorox or whatever. And I just want to make a public plug that like stop shaming people. You guys, if people are on keto and they're deciding to give that up because all they have at home are, you know, carbs or whatever, this is not the time to throw stones at not that there's ever a time to do that but i it's been let really meet. to me to watch let them come yes let them come off their diet let them have Beautifully grace said. um you know and and that goes too for people it's it goes back to your idea of like that rigidity or that versus flexibility of having giving our community grace and 
letting them know that it's okay to let those things die, not going to the gym every day, and letting them sit in peace with that and offering them comfort and support when they are choosing to do that. Because no matter what we see as practitioners and what we want, we want them to feel safe and comforted when they make those choices and understand and still have empathy for them that that's a hard thing for them to do. That's a, that's hard for them. They are right. feeling threatened and scared and um, like that grief. They're grieving, you know, for yeah. the things that they thought their wellness life was going to look like. We're not here celebrating that they feel stressed and like they're backed into a corner for getting off dieting. This is this is not what we want. <laughs> I just wanted to no. mention that. No, I thank you for saying that. I think that's so important. And you're right. And if we think about all of this as like a learning continuum, again, like I can't stop saying the word learning because that's what this is. Totally. Sometimes a chaotic, distressing event is what cataclysmically forces you to learn. Like yes. many people... <laughs> Well, that's why if the status quo is to diet, weight loss, but we can agree to that. That's the majority culture that we're in. The only way you step out of that is to have some sort of uncomfortable experience. So that could be me sitting in a clinic chair, looking at my client's shrink or reflecting on other aspects of my life and how this doesn't fit for me. That discomfort caused me to learn to be a better provider or a different kind of provider. Yes. Yeah. And that's the same thing for individuals. Like sometimes a big thing makes you change in a way you can't turn back from and mm-hmm. you can let that be, you can let that happen. And how beautiful to get that kind yeah. of response out of this horrible situation that we're all in if we can find a place to hold peace and comfort and space for each other to learn like you said bringing back that learning because we're all learning right none of us have been through this we have no idea Um, but I also see some similarities too of people maybe um, maybe think through those thoughts and feelings and work through them now so that we don't end up kind of where we were with our great grandparents going through the great depression of then feeling like you have to clean your plate and you all of a sudden create these other food rules of I have to have a basement full of canned goods all the time. Um, maybe take a breath, notice those feelings so that they don't affect you long term also mm-hmm. in a way that's a hoarding mentality or a fearful mentality right. because this also has the capacity to do that too. So. Right. Uh, it's such a hard situation to be in right now. I know. know. It is. Mm -hmm. So um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about, um, let me see, there's one on here. So I'm going to post your post when this goes live because it's, it's got a lot, right? So we've talked a lot about the ones that I'm personally struggling with, but there's also um, numbing yourself by staying busy or Mm -hmm. eating while distracted, which I think can play together of like, oh, I'm busy, I'm eating, you know, and using kind of food as a coping mechanism. And maybe what are some ideas? And I I loved how you said in the intuitive eating book can be a lot of information for people to DIY it, right? Mm -hmm. That's such a great way to put it. Um, Because I do feel like a lot of people try to piece it together themselves and do it all at once. And then it's Mm -hmm. not working and they feel stressed. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can touch a little bit about coping with your emotions with kindness and kind of what that looks like right Mm. now during Corona, um, what you might be feeling yourself or also maybe how you're guiding your clients in this time with that. Yeah. This one's really tough because I think people who tend to have their lives under control, that serves a purpose of creating positive feelings a lot. Yes. (laughs) Right. Like when I know exactly where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do and 
you know, there's these general frustrations here and there, but I'm a problem solver. I'm going to squash it. And if yep. you are somebody who operates at that clip, and I don't know, I know someone like that, and she's talking right now, and that's how she's supposed to say this. <laughs> yes, if and you, she's listening. <laughs> if you operate like that, and then something like this happens where the rug pulls out from under you, you know, it can be extremely disorienting, and your usual coping mechanism of busyness and productivity, it may not be available or it may not work as well as it usually does, right? Because the emotions are dialed up higher than they were in typical life. And so just kind of first taking a beat and noticing like, you know what, I'm someone who tends to cope with my anxiety or my uncertain feeling, uncertain feelings or emotion with productivity. There's a degree of that that's healthy and well aligned. And there's a degree of that that's numbing. And so just trying to get clear on where you are on that spectrum, how much of this distraction serves me and how much is preventing me from feeling things that I need to process, you know? And I noticed that in myself right away. Like when this started happening, I was like, I'm gonna build an email flow for my community. And I'm gonna, uh, uh, and like, it was like, yes. you know, and, and I took a step back because through my work, I've been able to realize when I'm getting like that. Mm -hmm. How did I know? Well, the before bed anxiety, that's one of my clues. Like if that's ramping up, there's something earlier on in the day or there's not enough space for me to process. So guess what's happening right before bed? Yes. <laughs> it's all going at once. Yep. So, you know, part of it is acknowledging you are not going to be able to be as productive as you were. If you were, it may not serve you. And how can you tell when it's not serving you? For me, it's that before bed anxiety. For you, it might be, you know, your, your gut starts acting up or you are short with your, your partner, your kids, your, there's different ways we all know when mm -hmm. our needs aren't being met. Mine is exhaustion. Like mm -hmm. not even like I, I have two kids and I'm working from home being a stay at home mom. I'm exhausted a lot, but this is like this morning I woke up, we listened to church online and then I was like, I need a nap. <laughs> and literally like that's cause I'm like you, I, I am absolutely wanting to be productive at the beginning of this. I was like, great. Well, every day I'm going to read and every day I'm going to work on my my business or whatever. Every day we're going to do a little homeschool activity. It's every day so I'm going to make bread. Every day. I'm like, and then I start making rules for myself of like, yes. and I'm going to get a workout in every day before lunch at this time. Blah, blah. It was insane. And I know I do this already. Like you said, I have this awareness. But during the quarantine, it was almost like an excuse to get worse and get into it more. Like, yeah. well, I can't do anything else. Which so I have to make these a rules. Lot of ED thinking, right? Totally. That when the chaos comes, yes, we all have a way of creating control. Mm -hmm. Now, some people that's through food, through restricting, or through binging, right? Mm -hmm. In our case, we tend to gravitate toward numbing through productivity, and it's human to do that. And I don't. Right. There, everyone does something. So before you go and beat right. yourself up for this, you everyone does something. Mm -hmm. And the trick is not to not let it happen. It's to catch it and reduce its impact on you in a negative way. And for me, like, I've also had a lot of joy in my ability to show up in my business right now. So the feeling that I'm helping other people does give me a sense of control that also helps my community. So when I step back and reflect, I said, how much of that is good for me? And how much is too much, right? Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, you don't, we're not sitting saying to sit in the mud and be like, ah, <laughs> the world's ending. I like, can't you do anything. No, we all need to feel better. 
but is your feel better technique really making you feel better? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if it's not being really change experimental, it. yes, mm-hmm. this you is the time it. to get curious and to figure out, okay, what does bring me st- stress relief? What does make me feel better? You know, Brooke always talks about this. I love with exercise and things that she does. She's, she does such a great job opening my eyes to things that might work for me that I never thought would like, no, that doesn't fit into my box, Brooke, stop talking about it. And then I try it and I'm like, oh, she was right. <laughs> and it's really fun you know oh, satisfying thank for you, you. Brooke, to be told that oh yes <laughs> so right. Brooke gets a lot of praise on this podcast she's like she started my intuitive eating journey for the most part she like Amazing. got me into like working out again I had not worked out because I was so rigid with my schedule yeah. she's done a lot for my for myself so I appreciate her all the time yeah exactly <laughs> so um but yeah what a great time to get curious and really try new things and and try to figure out what does work for you and what doesn't. Um, and then experiencing those feelings and adapting. And then also I saw this thing that on Instagram again was a post that was just like, and it's okay if you don't. <laughs> if you don't have the mental exactly. capacity to try new things, that's also okay. Like, yeah. Well, removing the destination out of it. Like, yes. Again, a client this morning was telling me, you know, like last week we set a goal. And she's like, this is great. My, she's going, she's a second career changer. She's going back to school. She has this journaling practice she wanted to get into. And last week it felt like, oh, I have so much time. Just like you were describing. Mm-hmm. Midway through the week, she had learned that her brother was tested positive for Corona. Oof. That, you know, her dad, there's just all these different things going on with her that changed how she felt about that plan. Mm-hmm. And I was so proud of her because she messaged me and was like, I don't think my plan's working anymore. Can we change it? <laughs> now, ultimately, yes. ultimately, I want my clients to just do that for themselves. Right. Like, I am not the authority figure <laughs> on whether or not you change your plan. But she knew to get support for realigning that. And so that to me was such a marker of the shift in her and what happens when you have a guide. Because if you're not sure because your rigidity is telling you like, no, hold on tight to the plan. Be accountable. The guide can help you say like, okay, and what I asked her was, what do you want? Do you want to do this anymore? Or do you want something else now? Mm-hmm. And from mm-hmm. there, she was able to go forward in a way that felt productive. So well, and I think like always change. Yeah. And I think that another thing that this quarantine has kind of taught us is like, it's okay to rest. It's okay to sleep more. It's okay to like, just take a mental break, like take a few days and just don't do anything. Like, watch TV, read a book, spend time with your kids, meditate, do just just relax and like do nothing because we're a society we're so like we're always doing something like even I catch myself doing this this week and like I'm cleaning while I'm listening to podcasts while I'm doing this while I'm you know and it's like I just like had to tell myself this week and I was sick too not corona I don't think um I was like vomiting and had a fever and I just had to tell myself like okay it's okay to just sleep and drink fluids and not do a damn thing for like the next 48 hours. And um, it's it felt really good this week to kind of refresh. Like I haven't left my house in 10 days besides once to bring my son to the doctor. And um, mm-hmm. it feels good just to be able to like walk the dog outside and just really spend time with my son. Like I haven't left his side. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just like nice to get a break. And yeah. I think as Americans, we're so scared of downtime like we're so scared of the thought like oh my gosh what are we gonna do being inside with our kids like how are we gonna (laughs) function how is our marriage gonna survive being with my husband all day like you know it's just kind of funny like 
it's okay. We can yeah. take a step back. We can relax. We can rest. Like it's okay to sleep and rest during this time. It probably will make most of us feel better if we just kind of, you know, put the focus on what we can control right now and yet we can control our sleep and our rest right now. Yeah. And to stick with it. Cause yeah. like you're saying, like first you talked about the fears, like, is this divorce? Like yes. you, have, you have this immediate, like what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And that's, that is really true. And I think why we resist stillness sometimes is we don't know what's going to happen when we become still. And sometimes it is uncomfortable. We do feel maybe a little twinge of sadness or fear. And I get that. I was there for a long time in myself in avoiding that. Mm-hmm. But I've seen posts about this before, and you may have too, where like most emotions last 90 seconds. Yes. And I, that when he, I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, like I can feel pain for 90 seconds. I can do that. Mm-hmm. And often it's less and often it's not as intense as you think it's going to be. And so especially right now, I think we're wanting to avoid that negative feeling. But if you let it go through you, that's when what you're talking about, Brooke, comes like, then you start noticing your kiddo next to you the entire day. Then you start noticing like, oh, it feels good to take walks and to sit and to be. Mm-hmm. But you got to like hang on. And that's the problem is most people don't hang on. They just start doing again before it sticks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. This was such a great conversation. Thank Agreed. you so much, Melissa, for coming on. Um, it's Thank funny because I get so this is going to be a hard one for people to follow because not only do can people not tell Megan Brooks voice apart, but I also get called Melissa all the time. Oh, <laughs> so Melissa, Alyssa, Melissa and Brooke Miller, Alyssa Miller. So I'm squeezed right in between you guys. <laughs> Sandwich. And, and I mean, on this FaceTime, to be fair, like you're right in the middle on my screen. Oh, at I least. am? Really? Oh, I yeah. left on mine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is fun. This is like a fun little party. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing part of your story and sharing what you're doing um, with your clients. You. And I do want you to tell people where they can find you because you're just such yes. an amazing resource online. And then like we talked about this whole episode, how amazing to work with a dietitian one on one, which Brooke and I don't do. Uh, we get asked about it quite a bit. And now we'll definitely be referring people over to you. We do have a course, but it's kind of like a basic get your head in the game, get started kick you know kickstart and then working with a professional we always recommend so mm-hmm. tell us where we can find you yeah so I live on Instagram my handle is no.more.guilt and so you can find me there and right now I'm running two types of services so one is my one-to-one client program it's three months I work with you one-to-one through sessions through chat and journaling and I have a private Facebook group where you can connect with women like you and then my second offering is my group program, which I just started. And this is truly, truly for people who have been trying, i.e. on their own. No one in their life is getting it. They're not their partners, their friends, their family, <laughs> and they are craving to be in a space where they can immerse themselves with people like them. Um, so that's my group offer. Both are accepting clients now. I love that. Awesome. And anything else you want to share with us today uh, before we let you go? Or do you feel like we pretty much covered it? I think we covered it, but remembering that our job right now and always is to be who we are and you can't do that if you don't listen Mm -hmm. so encouraging everyone who is out there right now to just be who you are and trust yourself through this time yes awesome thank you so much melissa it was awesome to meet you and chat with you i knew it would be and by the way like number one in my heart for instagram handle it's like the best i know i love it (laughs) thank you thank you i have to give credit to 
to my uh, coach, Libby Rothschild, for inspiring me. To oh, move awesome. Yes, oh, we like amazing. Libby. Yeah. Yes, she's amazing. That's great. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much, Melissa. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. Gosh, that was an awesome episode. We love her. We'll probably have her on again. Gosh, she was like, she's full of knowledge. Seriously, guys, I know I said it a ton during the episode, but go check out her Instagram at no more guilt. Um, I think there's periods in between there, but uh, she's incredible. She'll definitely be, she's just so sassy and fun and like very sarcastic and like hits you right where it hurts, I think, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so check her out. Obviously, you can tell we love her. And um, thanks again, Melissa, for being on the show. And we have a new friend. Thank so. you. Yes. And we wanted to remind you guys that we do have our course out. Um, the price is going to be going up very shortly. So please get it while it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So right now it's $59 and that is for about 10 hours worth of content. So audio, homework, the homework is where you're really going to see. Yeah, it's like 10 hours of audio. Yeah. It's a lot so. of content. So way more than you would get, you would get with like a one-on-one session with one of us for an hour. And it's the same price. Actually, it's a little cheaper. Uh, Yeah, seriously, much cheaper. So go check that out now. We're getting a ton of really good feedback on it. We're super proud of it. I think it's going to be really helpful in taking you from where you're at now to understanding how to build in a life of food freedom. Um, So yeah, check that out now. The link is in the description and on our Instagram at diet.riot.podcast. And uh, don't forget too, we have a giveaway going on um, that you can find more information about that below or on our Instagram, but um, you just need to leave a written review and you'll get entered to that giveaway. Plus sharing us on social media gets you an extra entry and you might get featured by Brooke by reading one of them live. Here we go right now. Okay. So here's an interview from March 5th. Okay. So- a review, not an interview. Oh my gosh. I can't talk. <laughs> Too many interviews. Uh, okay. So thank you for the encouragement. I am going backwards and listening to all the episodes. I just listened to the one on alkaline diet. What I was left with was encouragement not to let stress and rules run my life. Y'all are so awesome and make everyone feel like they can make the changes to mind and body. Those those two are connected and love that you have to change both. I also love how y'all get each other giggling. It's contagious. <laughs> oh, well, I love We you. do that. Um, so that was by Livesay5. So we whoop, whoop. that review. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for leaving reviews. It really does lift our spirits and let us know that we're not alone and sharing all this very vulnerable information. So thank you. And we're so grateful that you feel like you come away with this with less stress and um, less rules. And that's what we're here for. So thank you guys. All right. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.